In the spirit of respect, reciprocity, and truth, we honor and acknowledge the Moquinsis and the traditional Treaty 7 territory and oral practices of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which include the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pikani, as well as the Ayashi, Nakoda, and Sutina nations. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3, with the historical Northwest Métis homeland. Finally, we acknowledge that all nations, indigenous and non, who live, work, play, and record podcasts on this land, and who honor and celebrate this tor- territory. So you were just about to tell me what the contents of your teacup are. Well, I was going to have you try and guess. Or I said, like, do you know what's in my teacup? What do you think it is? I think it's straight gin. Like a really good gin. <laughs> no. Oh, I love that answer, though. It's oddly it's bizarre that I'm flattered by that. <laughs> well, you said you said it was you said you were like, well, we'll start recording at a good drinking time. Yeah. Is it is it alcoholic? It's yeah, it's just like literally cheap lager, cherry flavored. <laughs> Hell yeah. OK, well, I poured myself a glass of scotch, too, because you mentioned that. So nice. I'm set. I am. Um, I was just reading about scotch and your story where the the like really pedantic academic is talking about ghosts and <laughs> drinking all the scotch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you want me to introduce you and just like get right into it? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. You are listening to the Sister Luna podcast. I'm your host, Madeline, and today I have with me an enigmatic guest. Enigmatic? (laughs) His name is Mike Thorne, and yes, that's his real name. I can vouch for this because I have known him long before he became a celebrated horror author. (laughs) It sounds like a Bond villain, huh? A Bond villain? I feel like like the same name could work for a Bond villain or a horror writer. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'd be fine with either, actually. Those were my two goals. I was like, if I can't be a horror writer, maybe a Bond villain. Like, I'd I'd probably be a bad Bond villain, so I'm glad the horror writer thing is sort of happening. Yeah. It's probably best for society, then, that you manage to succeed at the writing thing. Yeah, I think so. I think we have enough Bond villains by now, so... (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, okay, so I have questions. Okay, I'll see if I have answers. <laughs> First of all, I want to say that when you sent me this sh- collection of short stories, Darkest Hours, I opened the document and I'm looking and there's an entire page of praise from other authors for this book, like at the very top. And I'm an impatient person. Okay. And I'm sorry I was just like halfway through reading it. And then I was like, all right, okay, you guys, that's enough. Like, I'll just read the stories myself and I'll see what I think. I'll see if I feel they deserve this praise. <laughs> but then after I was like, I mean, I had to admit that they were right. Especially like even the first story, I was like, oh, this is disgusting and horrifying and everything I it had been built up to be from all this literary praise. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that I disgusted and horrified you. This is good, right? Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So 
what made you want to become a writer? And when did you discover that vocation? I've been writing as long as I can remember. Like I, I started as a kid, I would draw a lot too, but I, w- I was always drawn to the, the dark and the grotesque. Um, and as a kid, that I, 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 my interest was mostly in like fantasy and sci-fi, but there are always elements of horror in there too. Um, so it's just, I don't know, some strange pathological condition that I was maybe born with. And um, I've been stuck with it ever since. So it wasn't until my mid-20s that I began actually seriously submitting fiction for publication, though. Um, I spent some time writing poetry in my late teens and early 20s that I think would make me grimace now. Yeah, um, who didn't, honestly? <laughs> right. <laughs> Same. <Yeah. laughs> Were, were we were we Nexopia friends back in the day? Because I feel like we probably had I, I probably had some bad poetry on my Nexopia. You know, I can't remember. I spent like most of the period where Nexopia was popular in one state of intoxication or il- engaged in some kind of illegal activity pretty much like the whole time. So I don't remember. <laughs> I think that's the best way to use Nexopia though, is under the influence. I don't think sober Nexopia use is advisable. So. <laughs> that's true, true. Although I do remember having all of that like HTML shit memorized. Like yeah. I could just type the code out with the color and the weird brackets and all that shit. Damn. Was that the drugs maybe? Did the drugs like maybe. fuel? <laughs> Oh, Lord. I don't want to uh, think about 14-year-old Maddie. I know. I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> I digress. I just had to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like your little Stephen King going and selling your stories for 10 cents a pop to, like, the neighbors. That's kind of what that makes me think of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to... Um... I used to uh, write things and give them to my friends and I would write like um, choose your own adventures that were really dark and nasty too. And then give those to friends. And like, no matter what option you chose, there was some horrible fate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Choose your own demise. Yeah. Choose your own demise. Yeah. 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 I thought that was more fitting. I was a weird kid. What can I say? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Me too. So that's why we're like, somewhat friends never was super close i feel well we yeah. weren't like we it's not like we have we i think we hung out just the two of us maybe once yeah and that's it like i'm gonna say twice i'm gonna say i think once is an under i think we hung out twice <laughs> <laughs> but then we also hung out uh with other people you know i knew I, you were you were around i was like maddie's cool you know maddie's mm-hmm. a cool one yeah thank you <laughs> I remember you paying me this compliment that I remembered for a long time because it felt very flattering. And then I forgot, obviously, because it was years and years ago. But then preparing to write that, like writing the questions for this interview, it came back to me. And I was like, whoa, a recovered memory. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it was essentially you were saying that you liked my vocabulary because it was you know, diverse and, and interesting, but also included a lot of swears. <laughs> I was like, man, thanks. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I stand by it. I stand by it still uh, to this event. Yeah. Okay. So what's expanded about this version? Because the version that's coming out is the expanded edition, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so the book was originally released in 2017 with a different publisher, and it was just the 16 stories. So the expanded edition has a new foreword by Sadie Hartman, who goes by Mother Horror. She's super dope, and I want to give a shout out to her. She's amazing. Um, and then this new edition I wrote, author notes for every story, where I talk about my process, my influences, kind of what the stories looked like in their earliest incarnations and how they ended up where they were. And then the section of film criticism is also totally new to this collection. Um, so we, we, we kind of wanted to expand on the theme of cinema that was kind of in a lot of the stories and the mm -hmm. cinematic quality of a lot of the stories and, and maximize on that with this edition. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Makes sense. Um, I was at first when I was reading the stories themselves, I didn't read the author's notes because I was like, well, I'm going to ask. I don't want to spoilers. <laughs> uh, I see. But then actually I did kind of start like skimming them again. I still didn't pay too much attention because I was, I wanted to be surprised. <laughs> that's wise. I think, yeah, that that's good. <laughs> either, either you were just like, I don't want to hear Mike's shit twice or or it's true, and you were like, no, I want this to be novel in the interview. Fresh. Real. Yeah, exactly. The first story. Uh-huh. Hair. Mm hmm I have to tell you that I love asparagus and bats, and I am very incensed. <laughs> it feels like a personal attack. <laughs> I apologize. I think I remember actually, again, when we were younger, you said, I like to have asparagus baths. And maybe that worked <laughs> its way into my fiction after all this time. Um, so yeah, sorry, that that was that was insensitive of me. I apologize. <laughs> it was very insensitive. Oh my god. How dare you be funny and successful? That's so rude. <laughs> right back at you. Look, you've got this cool podcast and YouTube channel. Yeah. This, fan, this beautiful backdrop. I did work on the backdrop today, so I'm glad you noticed. It's Thank very you. nice. I love and it. I even I pulled out my like horror books that make me look literary and like put, place them very intentionally. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I almost knocked over that lantern. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Anyways. Beyond my facade. So when you wrote Hair, did you maybe, by any chance, take a nibble and then write it? <laughs> because it's very, it just is so beautifully, like, ugh. I can't even think of the word I want. It's freaking disgusting. And it sounds like it would be exactly what it would feel like to intentionally eat, like a wad of hair. Well, thanks. So, you, so you're asking me if I'm a method writer, if I have to... I just like maybe you were walking by like some girl and she did one of these and you're like... Blah, 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 and then you're like, <laughs> hey, that gives me an idea. Like just walking <laughs> by or a romantic part, like just someone on the street? Because I think that would be really inappropriate. Maybe with a partner <laughs> you could get away with it, but uh, the, no, the answer is uh, no, I do not intentionally eat human hair. But I have unintentionally eaten human. You know, when you when you find hair in a in a dish of food or something, and the feeling that we get, most people, I think, other than Theodore in the story, is revulsion, and it's it's just like this um, 
deep somatic reaction. And that really interested me as a horror writer. I was thinking, what is that about? That there's the, these filaments that grow from our own bodies. Um, and if we come into contact with them unexpectedly, we have like this intense reaction. Um, so I wanted to explore that uh, a little bit through a story that was also kind of about addiction. Yeah, I believe that Jerry Seinfeld has a joke where he says something along the line, not that I'm a huge Seinfeld fan or anything, but I think it goes something along the lines of, um, we love people's hair. We will choose a partner based on their hair. We will even kiss them on the hair. But the second one of those hairs becomes detached from that scalp, it is the most repulsive thing you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. A number of these stories, it seems like you find, like hair, you seem to find one nugget of horror and then kind of build the story around that. It's like just continuing to expand on that one like idea until it becomes a whole story. But that's also my assumption. So what is your process actually like? It's, it's kind of similar to that. I'll usually start with either an image or a central idea of some kind. So hair did begin with my um, thinking through that. I, I was reading actually a lot of philosophy and theory about the kind of alienness of our own bodies and thinking back to the kind of anteriority of our bodies, the pre-human states of, of human bodies. Um, and I, I, I wanted to explore that and hair just seemed like the best vessel and I was also trying to write something about addiction. And I thought this is a really um, compelling way to do that because when we're locked into Theodore's subjective state, he's just feeling kind of bliss and exhilaration and excitement. He knows there's something right. wrong, but from the outside, it's it's like, holy shit, you need to pull back from what you're doing. Um, you need to not, I'm not gonna spoil the story, but yeah, you need to not do that. You also, you also write about, about addiction, addiction from, from like, like an, an outside, outside perspective, perspective in one of in, in McTee and, and Diabolus. Diabolus. Is that, is that it? it? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. McTee yeah. and Diabolus. Yeah. So it, so it comes, comes up, up a few times, times that, that theme. Yes, for sure. And it seems like a number of the stories too take place when, if not the first person narrator, but some, at least some of the characters in the story are drunk or have been smoking weed or something like that you even have the one a different kind of drug mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. intoxication is, there... is a theme <laughs> <laughs> what's your question here maddie what are you what are you asking me uh, i don't know nothing <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's it's good it's good i'm just bugging you um yeah no i think um it's it uh, a few people mentioned that about the collection and it dawned on me that horror and like and altered states of consciousness have always gone hand in hand, whether, you know, you go back all the way to Poe up to um, so many of the slasher franchises. I think there's something about heightened states of consciousness, lowered inhibitions, maybe lowered awareness that pairs very well with the genre. Um, and also it can bring out the darker sides of our psyches that the, the, the effects of drugs and alcohol and things like that. Um, and Poe is, is such a major influence for me. So I think um, that's part of what's going on with that fixation. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because, um, let's see, I noticed in one of the stories you had a direct like nod to Poe. 
Oh, it is the one I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I thought, well, that must be an influence, which, of course, I mean, right, if you're writing horror. But who else? Like, I also would guess Lovecraft is in there, too, based on some of the stuff that I read. But maybe not. I mean, I didn't go to university, so <laughs> I'm not as cultured <laughs> as you. <laughs> I see your Lovecraft book right behind you. Yeah. Yeah, no, Lovecraft for sure. Huge influence, of course. And um, like like all the giants of genre, Poe, Lovecraft, Mary Shelley, Bram Stoker, uh, Richard Matheson, Stephen King. But I, I also read a lot outside of the genre. I think the, the book is also influenced by a lot of the fiction and nonfiction I was reading during my master's degree, which is when I wrote the majority of, of this book. So I kind of, yeah, I pull influences from everywhere. I, one of my favorite living writers is Kathy Koja. Um, she's a huge influence too. So those are some cool. of the people that come to mind. Yeah. So then was writing the book while you're doing your master's degree, like a bit of an escape from the academia? Like here's something that's just for me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I have like, um, I mean, it's interesting. I saw someone the other day mention so many people say imposter syndrome that they have imposter syndrome that it's like, well, some of those people must just not be good at what they do. And, and immediately I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people where it's not just imposter. But anyway, so yeah, I was dealing with all of that in academia, like the anxiety of that environment. I had some really bad experiences in my undergrad that that created a feeling of fear in me in those environments. I felt kind of alienated um, just doing the kind of work I do. And with my interest in genre and popular fiction, I also feel a bit like an outlier. So I think it was definitely that it was a means of like exorcising that anxiety and, and some of that stuff, I think. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad I was right. <laughs> We're nailing it all so far, even with the Seinfeld quote. It's like uh, Seinfeld was speaking from my unconscious. Seinfeld was deep in my brainstem or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So there seem to be a lot of references to heavy metal. Every character is wearing a band T-shirt. Not every character. I'm just joking. But like it comes up repeatedly. Yeah. And so I was kind of wondering if that is you, like if you are a big fan of that type of music or what the deal is. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of, of heavy metal. I love all kinds of music. But again, I think um, there's like an intuitive pairing between horror and heavy metal. And again, I think it's like that heightened sensory experience that you can get with metal music. I'm writing um, an essay right now for an anthology on the history of weird fiction. And they've asked me to write an essay on my own work, which is something I've never done. I don't like right go into my work necessarily with with that particular of theoretical ideas in mind or whatever but Mm -hmm. i've been digging a lot into black metal theory and there's um there's a whole world of interesting thought there so it's Mm. definitely i think the two like play off each other in interesting ways yeah cool yeah that does make sense i have not listened to heavy metal in quite a while Except, that's not true. When we were landscaping my front yard, I was so, like, bored and hot, and I did not want to do it, and I couldn't decide what kind of music I wanted to listen to. Every single thing I put on was the wrong. I was like, this is too slow. This is annoying. I don't want to blah, blah, blah. And then one day I put on, like, Sabbath, I think, or something, and then I was Hell like, yeah. yes, this is, <laughs> this is what I need yeah. for this task of, like, just digging a hundred holes. <laughs> That's amazing. So you 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 did all your landscaping to Black Sabbath? 
Well, it was a combination. I think it was like Sabbath. Not all of it was full like metal either. There was a little bit of Metallica in there because that's a holdover from my parents. Like my dad really listened to a lot of Metallica, so it's a bit nostalgic for me. Oh yeah. Um, Clutch. I listened to some Clutch. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. So when you're working on a story, immersing yourself in that story, like becoming the characters that you're writing and living in the little worlds that you're creating, doesn't that scare you when you're working on it? The thing is, the reason I write horror fiction is because I'm so scared all the time anyways. I, I just have, you know, I deal so much with anxiety and fear. So it's just like horror fiction and horror movies kind of, they're actually comforting to me. They kind of feel like home. I mean, what I do go to dark places in my fiction and it, it can be um, sometimes unsettling to go there. But I also think for me, it's a kind of exorcism in a way. So I get it out of me and then impose it on other people who are, you know, unsuspecting victims who decide to pick up the book like yourself. Right. And then I ruin asparagus baths for you forever. And like, I feel <laughs> badly about that. But, That's um, my Sunday night ritual. I steam I up some asparagus and get in the bath. <laughs> steamed wow that's a whole other level <laughs> but truly asparagus is my favorite vegetable and i love baths yeah i'm so surprised to hear that you don't get scared because i also love consuming horror media obviously and true crime as well which is something that i feel like freaks a lot of people out quite a bit even more than horror sometimes and i like don't care i'll wake up first thing in the morning and be like jack the ripper <laughs> like i should <laughs> <laughs> but but every time I've sat down and personally tried to write something horrifying, I'm always like, I'll get halfway in or like a third of the way in and then I'll be like, no, this is too scary. I'm like, I'll have to get up in the night to get water and then I'll be so scared just like for no reason because I've created all of these horrifying thoughts in my brain. That's interesting. So it scares you more to create it than to consume it? Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I feel like this is kind of tangential in a sense, maybe related. I'll figure it out as I'm saying it. But when I was writing the first story in my next collection, Peel Back and See, um, I had like a sleep paralysis episode that ended up in the story. Yeah. But kind of actualizing it and putting it down on paper in a sense, helped relieve me of some of that terror. But yeah, it was so vivid and so horrifying. Um, so sometimes for me, just like getting it out is, is uh, I don't know, somehow maybe helps relieve yeah, some. that does make sense. That does make sense. But also I feel like a lot of the things that horrifying ex actual experiences that I've had that are like not paranormal, that are like real, I don't think anybody wants to read about that i don't know <laughs> like, i want to read it i want to read your scary stories <laughs> okay we'll see so oh my god the long man oh my god okay so then i you just answered the next question i was going to ask you which is are they ever informed by personal experience and you just said you put your sleep paralysis demon in there basically mm -hmm. so <laughs> yes Yes. But big is time. there another like it seems like a lot of times the setting is very relatable, you know, like it's a situ a social situation where things are kind of starting to go off the rails a little bit in one way or another. And 
your protagonist is watching it start to go off the rails and kind of being like, "Uh oh, <laughs> things are about to go sideways. Yeah. And that really feels like, I don't know, it feels like I'm inside of your head when I'm reading that. I've, I was, was thinking like Mike must have actually had this experience at a party where he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Parties are the scariest thing in the world. uh yeah no i definitely draw on personal experience i like i feel like um i was talking to two of my friends earlier today two writer friends neil howell and randy schroeder and randy just asked us like do 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 you do your worldviews um reflect in the kind of fiction you write and i don't know about how i would answer that necessarily i'm still mulling it over but i do know that my fiction draws on like my past relationships, experiences, but it also draws on daily news, horror movies, dreams. It kind of comes from all over the place. But definitely like my fiction has become a, a means for me to uh, grapple with like ongoing challenges with anxiety and depression. It, it, and I find horror is a very uh, useful conduit for exploring those things in particular, you know. So the long man. Speaking of personal experience, the long man, every child has had like some kind of a nightmare that stuck with them, I I think. Maybe not every child, I guess. I don't know. But I imagine a lot of them have. And I was just curious if that's somewhat real, this like memory of waking up in bed as a child and being like, oh, what is that? You know what? Uh, The long man actually comes from originally from a prank my older brother played on me when I was a little kid and he might get mad if I tell this in an interview but I don't care I can't maybe I've told it before but this could be the first time I've told this story yes (laughs) so in one of my childhood homes his bedroom was directly below mine and he found out that if he like scrapes in the furnace grate it carries up into my bedroom and I was so young that I didn't know what it was I was like what is that and I, the next morning, I think I told my parents, I was like, I heard some scraping in the grates. And my brother was probably like laughing over his cornflakes. And my parents were like, I, I don't know, like you're imagining it. Or so they kind of shoved it aside. And then he would start doing it more and more. And then he would add like moaning sounds. And then he's, I, I, I was such a, I was just like, how do I, how do I fight off this monster that's living in my bedroom? So I would, you know, I would leave like uh, a stuffed animal stationed on my dresser drawer, like a T-Rex or something. I was like, stay away or this plush T-Rex is going to fuck you up. And my brother, when I would leave the bedroom, I don't know what kids do to do whatever. He would leave notes, like written notes, like I will be here at 11 or whatever in like this shaky. So basically my brother traumatized me as a child with this prank, but I I got to write a story out of it. So that's, that's a true story. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Older brother. That's so mean. Oh my gosh. I think my dad caught him doing it one night Uh and just, flipped his lid on him like he went in and my brother was (laughs) (laughs) making these strange noises so that that put an end to it and that that ended the mystery but for a while I was just living in fear I was like there's this monster that's gonna eat me eventually it's just waiting it's just waiting for the right time yeah fighting its time until (laughs) (laughs) it wants to emerge yeah that's so mean oh my god that reminds me of 
remember The Ring? Speaking of horror movies. Okay. So that movie was huge when it came out, obviously. And I was like 13. I think we were around that age when it came out. And I was obsessed with it. We snuck in to the theater to see it. Like we bought tickets for a different movie and then went in because it was 14A or whatever. Like we weren't old enough to go. And we went to the late show and I was kind of a latchkey kid. So no one cared that I wasn't home. And then when I came home, all the lights are out. Everybody's asleep. House is totally dark and silent after I just watched the ring. And I was like, oh, no, this is this won't do. You know, <laughs> so I turn on the TV because that's like the first thing that I would do, you know, in a quiet house, like turn on some Simpsons or whatever. I swear to the goddess that I turned it on and the TV was like snow. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And I literally stood in the living room, just like tears streaming, like clutching this remote, like, I'm going to die. I'm just fucking horrified. I'm surprised I didn't piss my pants, literally. And then I, like, eventually after standing there for, I felt longer than the ring girl would have waited to come out of the TV. Samara I I decided like okay my mind started to rationalize and I'm kind of looking at it more analytically and I saw that the VCR was on and so I figured the TV is probably on the wrong channel and the VCR is on so it's like you know messing it up so I run like sprint over to the VCR and hit the power button it turns off the TV turns on I was not dead wow survived close call but Samara could have just been busy with another client at that moment right like you could have stopped Samara she could have been haunting someone else and and by the time she got back to her tv she's like oh shit she turned off the VCR <laughs> <She's gone>. yeah <laughs> she so, was putting on a face mask and then when she came back yeah she's like, she got to keep that pale complexion maintained exactly. somehow <laughs> yeah that's amazing but okay this leads into another story I swear it's short so this, that experience made me obsessed with The Ring, and I was so scared of it for months, and I was like, the more I watch it, the less scared I'll be. That was how I, like, that was my 14-year-old logic, and mm-hmm. but it didn't work at all. <laughs> I just got more and more scared, but also more obsessed at the same time. And so I got my brother to watch it, but he's, like, four years younger than me, so he was, like, 11, 10 or 11, <laughs> so he's, like, young. He watches it in our basement by himself unfinished basement with like wood stairs going down yeah yeah and i i'm listening at the door of the basement for it to be over and i hear the end of the movie and i hear like the chair kind of creak and he's coming up the stairs and at the time i had long dark hair and so i put it in front of my face (laughs) and like stood at the top of the landing of the (laughs) stairs And I assumed he was going to see me and just be like, fuck you or something. But no, he was looking at his feet the whole way up the stairs, like didn't look up until he got to the top. And then he looked (laughs) and I was there and he fell all the way down back to the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) Some older sister, huh? (laughs) It's just how older siblings have to operate, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's required for sure. That's so good. Wow. It worked better than I'd planned, but also worse, depending on how you look at it, you know? Yeah, that could have been been bad, a tumble all the way down those undeveloped stairs, you know? 
to the concrete floor at the bottom. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Does he still hate you for that or has he forgiven you? Um, I don't know. Maybe that is why he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Like that's He hasn't brought it up in a while, so yeah it's, it's a repressed <laughs> trauma it's his long man you're the yeah. long man yeah. <laughs> exactly his own sister what's a story that you read that genuinely scared you Ooh, a short a horror story that genuinely scared me that's a good question um um, um i'm thinking there's um an Eden Robinson collection called Trap Lines. It's not really a horror collection so much as it's kind of really dark realist fiction. But there's a short story in there about this uh, psychopathic cousin to a protagonist who uh, fucks with him, plays mental games with him. That story really freaked me out. Anything um, that I can kind of see happening within my reality tends to get yeah or there's a stephen king novella as well called apt pupil in the collection different seasons that story is about this uh suburban teenager who becomes obsessed with a neighbor who was a former nazi and he keeps probing deeper and deeper into this guy's past and it it starts warping his mind in really disturbing ways that story fucked me up too uh, it's yeah, a novella, no yeah. Have you read that one? No, but it sounds good. When I saw it, I actually read that mention of it in the author's notes on one of your stories because I remember seeing it and going, "What? How have I not read this?" So I'm gonna have to find it. I guess I just I have a few King collections, but I guess I don't have that one. It's good. It has the Shawshank Redemption in it too, oh, and nice. the Body, which is the story that Stand by Me is based on. Right. So it's good. Cool. cool. Maybe you, with your vast knowledge of horror, you can help me remember what story this was that I read. So I got a collection of Lovecraft short stories from the library, and this is one million years ago. And I was waiting for a bus, and it was night, and I was reading this story, like sitting at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come, and I was so engrossed in it that I didn't even notice the bus pull up. And then it was had been sitting there for God knows how long. And then the engine like backfired and made a loud sound. And I literally jumped in the air, like off the <laughs> bench. And I believe it was like a guy who's in kind of a, like an apartment, a high up apartment, little room and like a studio, I guess. And he's looking out over this town. And in the town, there's like one black church like building that he keeps like he starts becoming obsessed with it basically and wanting to find out what it is and none of the townspeople will tell him and then he keeps going back to his room and like writing about it and thinking about it and like looking at it that doesn't sound very scary but it was (laughs) oh i know lovecraft has a way it's not the dreams in the witch house right no that's a different one um what witch house the dreams in the witch house oh maybe does sound like something I would like. That's one of my favorites, but I don't, I don't know if that's the, I, 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 I think I can remember the story you're talking about too, but. I've been trying to figure out what that story was for so long because yeah, I mean the setting played into it, I'm sure as well, but 
Yeah, like I was genuinely, I jumped in the air like a cartoon, you know, like. <laughs> That's my goal with my fiction, Airborne Maddie. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, on that note, last night I had, like, I woke up in the middle of the night because John was, for some reason, eating chips at, like, 2.30 in the morning and going, <laughs> like, being really loud. So woke me up, and then I came and was like, well, I'm just going to go back and read these stories. Like, I'm just going to work then if I'm awake, whatever. So it was literally, like, 3 in the morning, and I was going back and reading them, and I was like, I don't know if the stories are getting better as I go through the book. Or if it's just three o'clock in the morning and it's completely dark right now, except for the light from my laptop screen. <laughs> like, I'm not perfect. sure, but scared, scared me. I'm glad. Yeah. And then I went to bed. I Like when I decided I was finished, I went back to bed, had a nightmare. And yeah, so your stories gave me nightmares and I'm not mad about it. Oh, I'm so flattered right now. Really? I gave you nightmares? <laughs> Well, it wasn't like to the point where I woke up in a cold sweat going like, oh, I just survived or anything, yeah, yeah, but I definitely yeah. had a very bizarre and kind of like gory dream. Do you remember anything about it? It's not that interesting. It was like I was in this house that was like a hoarder house, but it also was had a very confusing layout and multiple levels and was like really maze-like and weird. But again, hoarder, like full of random junk everywhere and like rotten food and stuff. And there were some other people in there with me. And the lady who owned the house, we were like going there to be like, ooh, scary house of this like crazy lady who lives in this house. And like, oh, we better watch out or whatever. And there was a gore element in there somewhere that I don't fully remember. But I also remember meeting her this supposedly terrifying hoarder woman and I was like she's a little crazy but also in the dream I like talked my way out of getting murdered and then was like I'm gonna be going now and just like backwards walking out the door like goodbye thanks for your hospitality yeah <laughs> wow yeah thanks for your hospitality that's what you, <laughs> you that, that, that's important yeah. to be gracious yeah have you yourself ever seen a ghost yes seen uh i don't know if i experienced yes uh there was there was a poltergeist in my apartment 100 percent dead sure for a while but i think it was attached to my ex because once she moved out like for good no more encounters but there was a lot of just wild paranormal activity. There were other people present for some of it. Like our friend Annie was there when lights were turning themselves on and off. Um, All kinds of crazy shit though. I could go on and on. One of the weirdest things that happened is one time I was shaving. I was standing in the bathroom, had like a towel wrapped around my waist. I might've even been naked. This would have been a hilarious incident to witness if you weren't experiencing it. But I was shaving. And there was a glass scale on the floor several feet away from me. And while I was shaving, it exploded. Glass everywhere. The, it had like a steel frame that bent out of shape. And I was just like covered in shaving foam. I think I was naked, just standing there with a look of horror on my face. Yeah. And then I think I called my ex shortly after and I was like, um, the scale just exploded. And, and it, like I don't there's there's no other way of phrasing it and then there was a creepy 
phone call thing associated with it too. It was, um, we have like a thing where the, the buzzer is connected to my cell phone, you know, and it was probably quarter to four in the morning one night and the buzzer went off. My phone was ringing and I kind of half awake picked it up and I was just like, uh, hello. And this very strange, it didn't sound human voice just said like, hello. And I was like, I got goosebumps right away. I was like, who is this? And the voice said, it's me, Michael, in that weird crackly voice, which is my name. In case people didn't know, the full version of Mike is Michael. And my <laughs> my, my ex woke up. She jolted up, even though she wasn't on the call. And she had goosebumps all over her body. She's like, hang up the phone. She just felt something was wrong. Uh, I could go on and on. But those are two of the, the paranormal encounters. Uh, this is the first time I've talked about these in uh, any interview, too. So, uh, I'm have asking you? the right questions. That's yeah, you're asking good <laughs> questions. Have you? You've had paranormal encounters, right? I feel like you have. Yeah, nothing like a scale exploding, though. That's wild, man. That's it was aggressive. probably the most notable. Actually, recently in this house, I've never really felt like anything super bad has been here, but I've definitely had some experiences where I'm like, Hello, <laughs> can I help you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was standing, I had just come down the stairs from my bedroom. Like I live on a four level split. So my bedroom is like up the stairs from the main area <clears throat> and it's all that's up there. And that staircase seems to be like localized where a lot of in this house, what I feel happens. And I had just walked down the stairs and felt like someone touched me on the back of the neck. Whoa. Like just right on the nape, just a little like boop. <laughs> wow. You got a ghost yeah. boop. And earlier that day was a moment when I had seen just like a flash. I literally thought somebody was shining a floodlight in my window for some reason or something, you know? And I was like, someone flashing their brights in my window. Like, what is that? But there's nothing there. And then later that day is when I got poked. Wow. But. I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I'm open to it. I want to believe that ghosts are, are real and that they're, you know, I, 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 I'm totally open to it. I'd welcome more, but that one ghost was pretty destructive. It yeah, was like, that was, yeah. I'm surprised that you just said I'd welcome more because. Hey, not that guy. That guy was a, I, I know it was a guy. I feel like. Not um, Michael. Not my, no, that was a trick. That was a trick. Oh, it was using a familiar name to try and sneak in. Creepy. Right? That's what my friend told me. She she said, like, that's a common tactic used by, um, like, malicious supernatural forces is to try to gain entry by using a name or a persona that's familiar to you. So, right. But that's, yeah. like, a very bad job that that ghost did by using your yeah. own name because you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, excuse <laughs> me, Michael. sir. I don't even go by Michael. Yeah. Mr. Ghost, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he like, yeah, he took his notes too hastily or something. Yeah. <laughs> Did you maybe have a twin that you like absorbed in the womb? Whoa. That also would have been Michael. I haven't considered that, like Mike and Michael. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm willing to entertain that as a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I feel a little bit like that. I'm like, I'm feeling a little Michael-y today, you know? <laughs> do you do you think you have that like a Madeline and a Maddie 
always wrestling uh, inside of you? Probably not. I don't know. Your character in The Amateur says, quote, horror is the truth. And I imagine that's what her voice sounds like, too, because she's kind of, like, annoying. Horror is the truth. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, you should play her in the movie. That'd be cool. I would love to. Yeah. You'd be <laughs> good. You'd filmmaker. be good as Kate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With a bad dye job. Yeah. That sounds like a character I could be. Um, but, <laughs> but do you do you agree with that sentiment? To some extent, it's at least a partial, it's a partial truth. I think that there are certain um, aspects of existence and reality that are fundamentally horrifying and, and unknowable. And um, that kind of ties into the, the thing I brought up earlier when I was talking to um, Randy and, and Neil, my friends, and they said, does, does the genre you write within reflect your worldview? Um, and I think I am to a large extent pessimistic, but my pessimism is not nihilistic in nature. Like it's not destructive so much as it's a kind of um, a resignation and an acceptance of a certain nothingness or unknowability. So I wouldn't uh, take it in the same direction as, as Kate, but I think there is something fundamentally horrifying about being alive and, yeah, and, and about, right? Yeah. So do you, you don't think I'm crazy for saying this? No, I think I totally agree with you. In fact, I love that quote. I think there's something fundamentally horrifying about being alive, Mike Thorne. <laughs> like you should put that on a book jacket. <laughs> Inspiring. You can put that on a poster with like a landscape or a cat or something. <laughs> I see your, uh, your skeleton hand earrings too. Mm-hmm. And the skeleton shirt. I love it. You're rocking it. That's so good. <laughs> I uh, I wear. I have a lot of shirts with skeletons on them, weirdly. And I was wearing one without thinking while babysitting my niece a while ago. And she's like, she's four now, but I think she was not quite four at this time. And she said, like, let's play hide and seek. So I said, okay. And she's like, I'll hide and you be the ghost. And I was like, the ghost? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, okay. So at first I was just playing hide and seek normally, like counting, and then came to look for her. And she's like, no, you have to go, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm looking for her, she wants me to pretend to be a ghost, which I'm like, you're such a creep, little child. I love it. So I did. And then when I finally found her, because she was actually hiding good, she was in a closet, like crouched in between two boxes and like rocking back and forth going, skeleton, skeleton, skeleton. <laughs> she knows because horror is the truth she's seeing the truth in the dark of that closet that's incredible yeah for real Ugh. and then at another point she like hid but just went up the stairs and like stood there as children will do when they're playing hide and seek and so I came up and I like saw her but I didn't want to ruin the game by just being like well you're there like (laughs) quite clearly standing yeah I said something like I'm gonna get you and she said why and I said because I'm the ghost and then she (laughs) fucking screamed like she was so scared ran into her bedroom like slammed the door and I was like oh no I'm sorry and I came in I'm like I'm not really a ghost I was just doing the game like you said you wanted me to be the ghost I don't understand when you came into her room, was she saying skeleton, skeleton? Was she, was she still doing that? 
Um, no, but okay. she was here yesterday and I have a skull out as like part of my decor, as you can see. Very and nice. I have a full like life-size posable skeleton named Rodney who's in some of my videos. <laughs> <laughs> so I have like skeletons around yeah. and she asked me, cause my fiance, her actual uncle, John, had the skull and he was like making it talk and I was looking at him like John she doesn't need more of this like skeleton <laughs> shit but he was already doing it and then she asked do you have a bone in your head and I said yeah it's called your skull like that and like like this right yeah yeah and she said oh but what if you didn't have one and I was like well that's a horrifying <laughs> mental image like what <laughs> wow <laughs> What if you didn't have one? What if you didn't have a skull? Just born without one? Like, or, or it was extracted? Because I think either way is not good. <laughs> if you're born without like a skull, it's like, what a helmet. Skull, like, how would you even get out of the birth canal? Shoulders, I guess. As long as you have other bones. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Fine. I think you'd I be a know, little man. loose, though. You'd be a little loose up top without a skull. Right? I don't know. I'm just picturing. Your I'm brain, trying to... your brain will get squished. Yeah, you got to wear a helmet. You got no <laughs> skull. You're wearing a helmet everywhere. You're not. You're not just walking around. You know, flying solo without. But also, your brain would just be like clattering, like not clattering, I guess, because there's no bones. But squelching. Squelching around in your <laughs> skin sack of <up> head. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so it would like drop down when you're trying to eat and you'd have to work it back up. Wow. Oh my God. This is an interesting, there's a story. She's, I think yeah, she's I a natural. Say, like, stay tuned for a new story by Mike Thorne about <laughs> how you don't have a skull. <laughs> Inspired by my niece. Yeah, she should write it. So it, when I was reading the, this collection, I found that a lot of the themes seem to be around success in academia specifically, and capitalism. And I love those themes because I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast before, but we do get very, like, hating on the cops and things of this nature oftentimes mm -hmm. over here. Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, the criticism of capitalism is something that I really enjoyed in there. And also kind of making fun of really pedantic academic academics academics <laughs> <laughs> i i appreciate that because I, there's just nothing that's more annoying to me than that i hate it yes totally i feel you yeah no I, and i'm glad you brought up the critique of capitalism and critique of power relations in academia and i think there's something especially scary about seeing uh, capitalism as a microcosm in these nominally progressive environments like liberal arts departments. And it's just people fighting for the scraps of funding or grants or positions. So, and, and often it's, it's played through a kind of performatively progressive lens, but there's a lot of grotesquely capitalist stuff going on under the surface. So again, that kind of like tension and contradiction really scares me and really interests me. So, a story like Fear and Grace, for me, I was like, you know, if you were able to perform a certain kind of um, part in this environment, but you were just a fucking psychopathic capitalist, 
You can, mm-hmm. you, I, I, I've seen those. I've, I, I know that guy. I've seen him. Um, so that's definitely a, a something where I was playing off of real experiences. And, and definitely economy these days was like a straight yeah. up satire of later than late capitalism and uh, <laughs> the horror therein. Yeah. Yeah, that one's very direct. And in the author's notes on that one, it said something about like you were kind of wanting to make like a a glib reference to it, essentially. And I read that and went, I didn't find that glib at all. I thought it was really horrifying. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genuinely <laughs> pretty horrified. <laughs> I think I have a dark sense of humor, but it is. Yeah, yeah it's I think uh, hopefully it's both, you know, it's like very darkly comic if you're sick yeah. like me. But yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I had a thought and it just like flew right out of my brain. That, that, that. Oh yeah, the one where, oh God, I'm so professional. The one where the guy is trying to write his thesis and then the like other guy opens up his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved it. I love that visual. And there's so many good visuals in so many of these stories, but that one especially, I was just like, yes, I can see this. I feel like the vision that I had of that was exactly what you imagined. I mean, that's really the beauty of the written word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That you oh, are yeah. like putting, literally putting thoughts into someone else's head. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's nothing else where you can do that, right? Like I can't, yeah. I guess music to some extent. Yeah. But even then the music already exists outside of your imagination like you're hearing it Mm -hmm. as it is that's also the same for film right like there's no or not as much of like an imaginative element there right yeah 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 I see what you mean yeah that story was autobiographical that's how I got my thesis finished actually was yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's so I just wrote that from experience yeah how many mics did it take to get to the center of that Tootsie Pop I think it was 17 or 18. So maybe the Michael was one of them. Oh my God. It all makes sense now. <laughs> Whoa. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. I don't even know which one I am. I think I might be 19 actually, but <laughs> I still feel like me. So it's okay. Since we're having so much fun during this interview, do you want to address the double pronged cock of the cat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, because I read that and I was like, he really wrote that. He really is going. <laughs> he made I that didn't. choice. Uh, he needs me to know <laughs> that this demon has not just one, but two cocks. Two. What's scarier than one cock? Two. two I think you just answered your question. Yeah. That's why, <laughs> that's why one cock is not enough. One cock. Everyone's seen that. Everyone's seen a cock here and there. But, you know, I was like, if I want this scene to have punch, you got to double the cock. You just have, <laughs> right? That's, that's, those are the creative decisions you have to make for a story. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yes. Yeah. So. Um, this is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> in Fear and Grace, though, like you mentioned it just a moment ago. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, my favorite story from the bunch. And the reason is that, first of all, your antagonist is so beautifully rendered and, like, realistic. And you just said you actually know that guy, so it makes sense. But also, you do such a great job of writing from – 
or like telling the story from the perspective of a woman in that I find yeah you're welcome and like yeah the that like pivotal moment at kind of the climax of the story and the her internal dialogue is so spot on thank you I don't want to give away like what happens but yeah yeah it's really really well done I'm so glad you say that Maddie because that when the book was initially released it seemed like that was the most divisive story so mm-hmm. there were a lot of reviews where people actually said, I liked all of the stories except Fear and Grace. Wow. They might have even typed except in all caps. And I was like, whoa, shit. what is it with this story? But then other people said, you know, it's my favorite. And I, I actually think it's probably the story I'm proudest of in the collection. So um, I found it interesting that that seemed to, for whatever reason, some people were like, absolutely not. Um, I wonder if perhaps it has something to do with the depiction of animal violence, but to me it was so integral to the story I couldn't uh, I couldn't imagine writing it without that. I mean, the um, satanic panic has way worse animal violence than fear That's and grace true. does. But it has a double pronged cock, so maybe that <laughs> that compensated. Right, I was going to be upset at this story, but he gave us two cocks, so okay for now. maybe yeah I don't know that's not something I can ever really get behind even though I am an animal lover and Mm -hmm. cats especially like I have a cat and she's a baby angel and I love her but I I'm never gonna say like oh I don't like this story because there's animal violence in it when I spend my whole life like listening to stories about people driving around in vans and like abducting teenage girls and raping and murdering them. Like I'm not going to then be like, Oh no, they killed the dog. I will not stand for this. You know? I totally feel you. And I mean, yeah, I, I like I'm, I'm, I'm vegan. I like, I'm, it's not like, and, and I think this is something I bump up against a lot is I think a really bad fallacy in criticism that depiction equals endorsement. It's like, Absolutely not. But in order to write horror fiction, I have to go to uncomfortable mm-hmm. and disturbing places if I if I want to um, uh, grasp at any kind of, I don't know, you could call it truth or something. Um, and I mean, as soon as the world is excised of all violence, I will stop writing about violence because I hate violence. But I like nice violence, nice violence, meaning in fiction and in film, you know, that's fine. Just don't hurt anyone or anything in real life and then we're okay yeah yeah for sure um well that's all the questions i have this is fun though so fun yeah it's been too long (laughs) i'm enjoying it me too you can order Mike's books, Shelter for the Damned and Darkest Hours, through Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Check out his website, MikeThornWrites.com, and connect with him on Twitter and Instagram. His handle is MikeThornWrites on both. I highly recommend his writing. After reading every single story in Darkest Hours, I am very impressed. And I recommend that you go out and buy all of his books forever uh, because they're good. And of course, you can find us at Sister Luna Podcast on Instagram. And if you have a ghost story to tell, like the one that Mike told today, or you have something else you want to say to me, just say it. Email me at sisterlunapodcast at gmail.com. Sister Luna says, Horror is the truth. <laughs>